Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and today we have another very special episode brought to you by the mind of Dr. Libby Backfish, who is here with me. Hi, Matt. We've done this before in Psalm 55, but throughout this episode, you're going to hear the voices of some of Libby's students reflecting on our usual three questions as we hear them explore and reflect on Psalm 91. Then you'll also hear Libby and I occasionally chime in, highlighting some of our favorite parts of the students' reflections, but not all our favorite parts because the episode won't be long enough for that. So to get us started, here's the William Jessup University Psalms and Wisdom Literature class reading Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and and show show him him my salvation. salvation. Libby, before we get to the students, can you share a little bit about your class, how you've prepped students, what they're coming in expecting? I think they're ready to offer us some really insightful reflections. We've been looking at the shape of the entire Psalter. We've been looking at all the different forms and genres. We've been looking at some of the interpretive questions that some Psalms, including this one today, raises for us in our own prayer lives. So I think they're prepared to give some really thoughtful theological reflections. No pressure class. (laughs) Okay, well, let's dive in. Our first question is, what stood out to you in reading this Psalm? I'm Leon, um, music major. And what stuck out to me in Psalm 91 is it's more of the relationship between Psalm 90 and 91, where Psalm 91 is a beautiful like answer to the laments of Psalm 90. Psalm 90 talks about God, you know, returning people to dust and how fragile they are, like grass. While Psalm 91 responds saying that basically, don't fear, God will protect you, and God will protect you when you make him your refuge. My name is Ethan, and I am a history major. So what stood out to me when I read this psalm, I read the part in verses 3 through 6. It Towards the end of verse 3, it mentions pestilence. And then again, at the start of verse 6, it also uses the word pestilence. But then after it, it also it mentions the word plague instead. And I noticed they're, they all have the same meaning, but instead it decided to use the word plague there, and I was wondering if there was a reason for that or if they just decided to use a different word there. I'm Elisa, and I'm a visual and fine arts major. 
At the end of verse 4, the term rampart is used to represent God's protection, which is referring to the defensive walls that fortify castles or walled cities, as opposed to the term buckler that is used in some other translations, which is referring to a portable forearm shield. Um, I just think it's interesting how different translations of the same verse can have a range of meaning. And in this case, it's between a strong and a movable wall versus a shield that can easily move with you. But it stood out to me that the NIV translation focused in on the interpretation of stability and all-encompassing protection. Hey, I'm Crystal. Uh, my major is liberal studies, which is also known as teaching. And then the, what stood out to me about Psalms 91 were actually verses 11 through 12. This stood out to me because it talks about how God commands his angels to guard us and, or yes, to guard us and to lift us up. And in my stage of life where I'm at right now, it just, it touched me in a way that I wasn't ready for. So, yeah. Libby, these are your students, so you're biased, but I'm 100%. not. And I thought those were wonderful reflections. <laughs> yes, they were. They're amazing. Tell me, like, what's, what's some highlights or things, you know, if we're pulling kind of some threads together here? Yeah, what I appreciate is how carefully I can tell that they've read the text. Yeah. They're paying attention to where this psalm is located, how it's responding to Psalm 90. They're looking at the different terminology within the text, yeah. some of those parallel features, and then also different terminology in other translations and how that affects how they're reading it and what that image means. And then, of course, I love how this is not just an academic discipline. This is affecting, mm -hmm. um, you know, how they think about God. So there's a personal component that I think is vital and really inspiring. Yeah, I, fe I felt like all of these reflections were kind of like an encapsulation of the Psalm project to me. We have individual conversations about the Psalms, but the hope is those conversations talk to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. like Leon was doing with Psalm 90 to 91. Uh, you have kind of the careful attention that Ethan was paying to the language, which is anyone can do that. Right. It's just mm -hmm. taking the time to actually read scripture carefully and reflectively. You had Elisa helpfully for me kind of articulating. We don't always use different translations in our conversations, but mm -hmm. uh, whenever that comes up or whenever a guest comes on, it's always kind of illuminating. And then, as Crystal was saying, the ways that the Psalms touch us, like it just feels like that's that's the whole podcast project right there summarized by your students. So yes. I'm really excited to hear what students have to say about our second question which is, what does this psalm teach us about God, or how do we encounter God in the psalm? Hi, my name is Sandia, and I am majoring in liberal studies to become a kindergarten teacher. This psalm emphasizes God's sovereignty, reminding us that He is not only willing, but powerfully able to save His people when they call upon Him. Verse 3 promises, Surely He will save you from the terrors of the night and of the day. Not that He will try to save you, but that He will. In verse 11, we see his divine authority to command his angels to guard you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Even in this small thing, he has power over armies of angels. Verse 14 promises again, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Our God has full control over all of creation. My name is Rebecca. I'm a liberal studies uh, ma teaching major. And what we learn about this psalm is that our God is a protective God. Psalm 91 is littered with protective language, things like shelter, refuge, fortress, shadow, taking you under his wing. And what I think is really cool about the protective nature of God in this psalm is that it describes different domains of protection. 
Verse 4, for example, when the psalmist writes, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge, this echoes parental protectiveness, like a mother bird protecting her young, whereas the end of verse 4 and into 5 and 6 portray more of a military protection, like he's our divine shield against our enemies and their weapons. It's very interesting. I'm Hannah Jean. I'm a mathematics major, and um, we can see in Psalm 91 how God is the, he brings justice through the danger. In verse 7 and 8, we see that there's thousands falling around them, but they only see um, how God brings justice to those who are bringing the threat, and that God will protect us and he will bring us justice. My name is Daniel. I'm a biblical studies major. Uh, the big question I have to ask about this is, what is the theology of God's protection? Uh, famously, verses 11 and 12 are quoted by Satan to Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, and this is what I have to unpack about it. Uh, was Jesus really protected at that moment by angels? Obviously, his feet never physically came off the ground, but maybe there's a spiritual protection that the angels provided. Uh, likewise, can we say the same for believers today? How does God's protection actually work? Are we protected both physically and spiritually or both? All right, Libby. No disappointment from group two. Of course not. Tell, tell me some highlights. <laughs> I love how each student was looking at uh, imagery of God and really seeing the meaning behind that imagery. So I, I love how Sandy was seeing not only is God portrayed as sovereign, but that image is a comforting image. It's a reassuring image and not a harsh image. Rebecca looking at the multiple images of protection, including like a father-like or mother-like protection. Mm. I think that's a really cool balance with the military metaphor. Hannah Jean seeing justice in the punishment of the wicked. Um, when the word justice, I don't even think is in the psalm, but, but the idea is there. Yeah. And it's just painted um, so beautifully. Uh, and then Daniel looking into the New Testament and how this text is misused by Satan and and possibly, you know, what does it mean for us as Christians to, to have this kind of angelic protection? I was challenged and inspired. They were all wonderful, and I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Okay, so Daniel just throws a couple of bombs there <laughs> at the end of the reflection, yeah. asking what's going on with Jesus. You just talked about Satan misusing the psalm. Which is, an, which is powerful choice of words. Mm -hmm. I'd like to hear you, and I can also offer some reflections. Like, how does, how does that incident where Jesus sort of re rebukes him and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, like, how does that help us understand what's going on and what the promise of God is in this psalm? Yeah, I think what Satan is doing is something that we've all probably heard Christians do at one point or another, is to see in this psalm a universal claim of divine protection no matter what. And so when Satan is tempting Jesus and he says, hey, jump off, he's saying jump off the temple, right? And yep. the angels will catch you. And Jesus rebukes him and says, don't put the Lord God to the test. Jesus is saying that psalm is not applicable in every circumstance. What's more important is, is not testing God. And so, I mean, I've heard Christians say, you know, you don't have to consider it of this protocol or that protocol um, because God is protecting us all and they'll cite this psalm. And yeah. I think that would be a misuse of the psalm and really not recognizing the many other psalms in scripture that recognize that, you know, as much as God loves us and desires to protect us, that's not what always happens. Sometimes he allows suffering to happen for a variety of reasons, many which are mysterious to us. Uh, that's super helpful, Libby, and takes us back actually to our very first comment from Leon, who was talking about this psalm in conversation with Psalm mm, 90, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So if all we had is Psalm 91, 
maybe Satan's justified in his claim, mm -hmm. but the fact that in fact we are dust, that we endure sometimes just the tragedies of life mm -hmm. means that when we come to Psalm 91, not that we can't take the comfort that so many of the students have talked about from this Psalm, but there's also a way in which we realize um, God's comfort. And I think Daniel was starting to get at this in his questions. Uh, the nature of the comfort may not always match up with the trouble we're experiencing, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. So it might not be, if we are sick, it may not be an immediate healing. But what does it mean for God to be present to us in the midst of sickness? Mm -hmm. So I love the way it's bringing some of the students, the kind of thrust of this, I think, is helpfully putting us in a good conversation here. All right. Well, let's ask our third and final question. How does this psalm help us to pray? My name's Christy, and I'm a biblical studies major. Uh, Psalm 91 begins by using four different metaphors for God's protection. Two of these, refuge and fortress, are actually military words. In using these, the psalmist presupposes war or trouble. There would be no need for either a refuge or a fortress if everything is peaceful. This is important to keep in mind as we read the rest of this psalm. It is also important when we think about prayer. Because God states that he is our shelter, we can pray along those lines with confidence. As the psalm continues on, we see in verse 4 that not only is God our refuge, but he is also our comforter. This nurturing language reminding us of a mother bird foreshadows the comfort we can receive from the Holy Spirit. I love this because it moves away from God being something inanimate like a fortress to active protective nurturing. We can pray to God for comfort. Yeah, my name is Samaria. I am a music major, youth ministry minor, and this psalm helps us to pray, specifically looking at verse 13, treading on the lion and the cobra. Um, this psalm can be prayed for protection and covering, but it can also be prayed for empowerment. In reality, we know that as Christians, we will face trouble, but we can ask for God's fiery strength to help us crush the head of the serpent. My name is Danielle, and I'm an English major with a teaching concentration. And for me, in terms of prayer, verse 15 sticks out specifically because it describes that the Lord will be with us in our troubles and hardships. Often, it can be hard to reconcile what this psalm says with the fact that the Christian life still has troubles. But because of this verse and a few others as previously mentioned, we can see that there is not an error of naive promises in this psalm, but rather there's a synopsis of God's love, care, and protection of us. And because of this, we can know that we can go to God in prayer for comfort in the midst of dealing with the human experience because it's clear that God loves us. My name is Josh. I'm a biblical studies major with a focus on pastoral ministry. And I really wanted to focus on verse 16 specifically where it says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What I think of when I read this is God is not ignorant to our sufferings. He doesn't see us in our trials and tribulations and say, Oh, I didn't even realize you were going through that, my bad, because he's present with us and with long life he will satisfy us. And that makes me think of uh, the verse in Romans 8.18 where it says, you know, uh, the pain you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that's coming. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I just think of, you know, it's God's deliverance is conditional in this sense that we we will go through trials and tribulations, but because we have faith that God will deliver us, he will. Now, it does say that with long life, and that makes me think that um, we're not always going to be delivered right away, but because we have faith that he will deliver us, we can have that confidence that he will show us his salvation in, our, in the future to come. I'm Tyler, and I'm a biblical studies major. 
In light of the reality of suffering we all inevitably experience, the promise of God as our refuge found in the psalm may come across as too idealistic or out of touch with reality. And this can be emphasized by the fact that Psalm 91 comes right after Psalm 90, a communal meant hymn. However, I think this is because we often misunderstand the different modes of God's protection. Origen, in one of his homilies, rightly interprets verse 5 of this psalm as a protection against fear among our trials and not necessarily a protection against the trials themselves. This attitude was embodied in the prayers of the earliest martyrs of the faith, like St. Polycarp, who, right before being martyred, fearlessly offered up a prayer to God, blessing, praising, and glorifying him in the midst of his impending doom. Air quotes. So when we pray, we should follow the pattern of the early Christians and pray that God helps us endure the trials we go through and bless him, even in the midst of them. All right, Libby. Uh, I'm a big fan of the early church, the church fathers. I have never once quoted Origen or Polycarp on this podcast. So 91 Psalms in, Tyler's done it for us. <laughs> so thank you to him. <laughs> but give us, yeah, give us kind of some highlights. What stood out to you? What stood out to you mm-hmm. in your students' reflections on how the psalm helps us to pray? Yeah, so I was struck by the way they looked at prayer in this psalm and the experiences that the psalmist brings to prayer and how they see God answering prayer. So I appreciated that they saw in this psalm more than just naive optimism, because I think read on its own, it could seem naively optimistic, but they see the you know presupposing danger and the images of trouble. And yet in that, they can see that they can reach out to God in love and faith and in patience and waiting for his timing, which may not be uh, always immediate. Um, and it also might not look like physical protection, like that great example from Polycarp. It might look like comfort in the midst of trial and faith in the midst of it rather than physical protection. And then I had never even honestly noticed the empowering image of treading on the cobra yeah, and the lion. Yeah. yeah. So that was a really helpful corrective to me that there is this aspect of not just passive protection, but empowerment to protect against the evils of the world. Yeah, it was also good. I was so appreciative. Uh, and all, in fact, everyone I think who's reflected on the psalm has done that, that we've not taken a naive approach mm-hmm. to the psalm and sort of a triumphalist <laughs> approach mm-hmm. where it's just like, yay, aren't we all safe now and forever? <laughs> Won't everyone in the room have long life? You know, because, well, we all know the realities of life, but it strikes me even listening to your students, like the formative nature of praying a psalm like this over and over that reminds you of God's care, even in the midst of those challenges, that reminds you, as Samaria was talking about, about the empowering work of the Spirit in our lives, even in those seasons where we feel sort of defenseless uh, or unable, uh, unempowered even. And so, yeah, the ways, and this is, I think, so much of what the psalms do, they invite us into a formative prayer life, and I love the presupposition of trouble that was being talked about uh, because it is the psalm you pray when you are in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not the psalm you pray when sort of you just feel like everything's okay. And so the very fact that sort of the trouble becomes presupposed, then this forms us in trust in God in all these ways. So, so appreciative of your students' comments all the way throughout. Any final words about Psalm 91? Thank you for letting us explore it. It's one of my favorites. And um, yeah, I think the students did a great job and I learned a lot from them. Yeah. Well, 
students who are all sitting here as we record this, why don't you go ahead and give yourselves a cheer and a round of applause for a wonderful job. Well, as we say in every episode, friends, go out and pray the Psalms.